Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, this is uh, Are You Fan Jerry. Welcome to another edition of the Our Big Show. Uh, welcome, and it's an opportunity uh, for us to get on and move on. As I said, uh, in, in the naming of this show, the Buffer Kansas is behind us, and it's time to move on to uh, a next uh, our next portion of the season. So uh, without further ado, I want to welcome Adam Adam Helfgoff from the uh, RU Screw Pod. Adam, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Um, had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties over there in the beginning, so I appreciate you hanging on early. I hope I didn't lose anybody. But, uh, I, you know, I came across your show um, a couple of, uh, uh, I guess, about two or three weeks ago. And, you know, I think it was awesome that, you know, there's probably – now maybe five or six Rutgers podcasts. You have uh, John Newman that's putting together a pretty good show with the Scarlet Spotlight. Uh, you know, NJ.com has one, Scarlet Nation, uh, On the Banks. And, you know, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a couple of years. So I think it's just, you know, great to see, you know, another another one out there. And I love the, your name. I think anybody that goes with Rutgers knows all about the RU screw. I agree. That's what we figured as well. Uh, obviously, anybody that Went to Rutgers has been associated with it and probably once or twice or many more times, depending on uh, how much he did get screwed at Rutgers, has heard of the RU screw. So it kind of fit naturally. Um, it's kind of more of a, a fun, playful podcast that definitely touches on uh, some serious topics in regards to athletics, but we're a bunch of guys that uh, we love Rutgers, went to Rutgers. Uh, we don't mind being tough on the school at sometimes, but we also just like to have fun like anybody else. So, we try and mix it up, and uh, hopefully it can appeal to some people as well. It's definitely pretty interesting to see how many Rutgers podcasts have popped up over the last year or so. Uh, but that just means that there are people that want to talk about Rutgers, and that is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, that's what's great. I mean, I, I you know, uh, so one of the things as a fan that I'm slightly disappointed about the way season has not slightly, I shouldn't say, <laughs> way more than slightly, that the season has turned out is because uh, – you know, I looked at the schedule and I said, you know, it, this was going to be an opportunity to have a little bit of fun. And we haven't had a lot of fun of late, you know, because the way the schedules played out, you, you know, you never went one or two weeks without having a Michigan or Ohio State coming in. And you, know, you looked at the schedule and said, hey, you know, we got a home game against Buffalo. Uh, there's home game against Indiana, Illinois, you know, all coming in a row. And, you know, it's time to, to get out there and have a good time and uh, it just hasn't actually uh, flipped out uh, that way, of course. But now, give me a little bit about your time. Uh, uh, you know, you we have uh, myself. I'm a '96 grad. You know, uh, Mo goes back way further than that. And uh, you know, you we talked about this before. We're uh, a you're a 2011 grad, so you were there when Rutgers was really fun and you know. It was an event going to games in 2007 and, and, you know, I think at the South Florida time, you know, and during that period. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess, you know, I came in just after the magical year of, of 2006 for some more background. Uh, my father was a uh, Rutgers College grad of 82 um, and he was a uh, Daily Targum alum. So he was into sports right away. Um, and once he graduated, uh, was got right into buying season tickets for both football 
um, and basketball. That meant when I was growing up that I was subjected to basically being a Rutgers fan, which most kids in New Jersey really aren't. I was one of the few of my friends who was really into college athletics at the time. So Rutgers was always kind of my first love in terms of the sports. Uh, you know, so I've sat through all the really turbulent years, uh, talking to whether it was Terry Shea, uh, after Doug Graber, I had plenty of history with the football program and same thing with the basketball, you know, caught the end of the Wensley years into Bannon and Waters and so on and so forth to where we are today. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into wanting to go to Rutgers. And then, as you kind of mentioned, getting there in 2007, especially on the football side of things, that was the period really to go to Rutgers within the last 15, 20 years, obviously because of the success uh, under Greg Schiano. And it was an awesome time. I think that I'll always remember that as kind of ball heyday. I didn't think we'd be at this point right now where it feels like the Terry Shea days almost a little bit again. But right now, uh, that's kind of where we're at. But going to school in 07, 08, 2009, 2010, 11, and, and, and so on, um, it, it certainly was pretty cool to finally feel like you were at a big-time football school. I don't know if I ever thought I'd be able to say those words with Rutgers. Yeah, you see, you see, uh, you millennials probably thought you had it so easy back in 2007, <laughs> 8, 9, 10. <laughs> well, now you're starting to yep. feel the pain a little bit, but... <laughs> So, you know, it's a, it's a good point before we, you know, talk on a few topics. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, not only that was I think people who, who would go to games that were, you know, maybe their first or second times going and you're like, you know, this is a pretty good atmosphere. You know, it's, it's you know, uh, the tailgating, you know, I remember some of the night games, which was funny how everybody was complaining about the Thursday night games. And, uh, uh, you know, you know, now it seems like we'll be stuck on uh, noon Saturday noon for perpetual, uh, you know, the rest of life. So, um, but yeah, you know, bottom line is not that long ago, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's six, seven years ago, so uh, it can get done and uh, they just got to figure out how, how to turn this around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now there's a really severe struggle. Obviously there's plenty of reason for that. Uh, that would take forever to really go into. I, I think that from a fan's perspective, obviously it's, disappointing and frustrating you you really only have seven saturdays in a year typically where you go and you want to see a really good product on the field and also football comes with other aspects of it in terms of the tailgating and being around friends alumni family whatever that may be um you know Rutgers fans the diehards have been through a lot um you know not only these last couple of years but those again that were at the early shiano days and pre-shiano days um, so I think that many Rutgers people thought that, you know, once Greg left that, you know, even though it was going to be hurtful to a certain extent, that they were over the hump and they were never going to fall back into this territory that they're kind of at right now as the once again laughing stock of the college football world. Um, doesn't mean that they can't get back to respectability. I think that's what every Rutgers fan is hoping right now. Uh, it just, it, it's a little tough to see at this moment because of how bad things have gotten kind of quickly, which I, I think is, surprise Rutgers fans. Well, so, you, you know, now that you know, you also did some work right uh, at WRSU, right? So uh, on uh, covering the team, right? Uh, I did. I did. I was at WRSU my, you know, from my freshman year until I, I left as a sports director in my, uh, my senior year before uh, and junior year before that. Um, so it was, it was a great time. It was a great time to get experience and, and, and want to do broadcast journalism and hosted a, uh, uh, a show with actually Danny Breslauer, who's one of the co-hosts of the Scarlet Spotlight, um, and that's how I know uh, our two uh, other co-hosts, Max and Mike, uh, were with me at, at WRSU as well. So it was kind of a natural fit to uh, continue something with at least the three of us right now. Um, Danny also doing his thing with John Newman. Um, so it, it, it was a blast of yours. You did a great job preparing me uh, for that and, and also gave me an avenue to meet a lot of really, really nice and, and cool people. So obviously you had a lot of experience in the studio and now you're doing the podcast. So, so you could probably feel for me, uh, I, I had a, an audio issue, um, which basically was I didn't have the mic on for the first uh, five minutes. And I just realized. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what was terrible. Is I think it was probably the best opening I ever had. 
So uh, I'm going to try to recreate it. Um, but what we're going to do is, you know, do it a little bit different. Uh, we'll do it kind of like roundtable uh, style. I'm going to bring uh, Mo on and we'll kind of talk through the topics that I brought up as points. Um, but my, my first start of it was, you know, obviously uh, I, I talked about, you know, we can call this every, everybody's a Rutgers fan remembers the Buffanova situation when they started the 2002 season down, uh, you know, losing both to, to uh, Villanova and then to Buffalo. Now this was a different version of that Buffalo team because that team just won D one at that time. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of rock bottom, you know, post uh, shade days. Uh, and, and, you know, this is Buffalo, Kansas, where we basically were not uh, competitive against two teams that people thought looking into the season were potential wins, but you know, everybody kind of got uh, their, you know, I guess off their chest, the fire ash, you know, last week, uh, emergency, you know, situation, but uh, you guys did a good job in your show, you know, talking about the money situation. And we all know there's tens million reasons why it's not going to happen immediately. So I feel it's not really healthy and kind of a good topic to go any further with that. So, you know, you know, kind of started off with, um, you know, one point I wanted to make, I think we kind of realized that this is not a very good team that, that we're seeing, you know, you kind of saw it as a fan against Texas state. And uh, you know, there's just obviously there's a reason why they're losing the games like this. So, um, you know, you kind of start to look for positives and what we can, you know, see maybe for the rest of the season, uh, you know, one of them is um, the quarterback situation. I think the big difference uh, between this and last year is the defense is, is is not the same defense it was last year. So we can't expect Geo to throw for 120 yards and win these games 17 to 14. So, uh, you know, I think, like I said, you know, Art he made the decision to go that way. I would like to see him uh, continue to play. Maybe, you know, they have to sub him at times, but – uh, you know, what's your view on on the quarterback and and who you you know want to see them go this week? Yeah, I, I guess I'm one of those people right now from the outside that thinks that the quarterback is maybe the the least not interesting, but it doesn't seem to me like it, it really is a controversy. I don't think who starts back there is going to make a tremendous difference. Uh, this team is so undermanned at uh, depth-wise, talent-wise at all, the key positions that uh, if it's me, I'm keeping our Stokowski's quarterback. Uh, the two other guys at the RU Street Podcast, Matt and Mike, said the same thing from week one, uh, and we taped earlier tonight. Uh, nothing's changed a third into the season. I still like the Art Stokowski to continue the rest of the way unless injury comes into play. I think that Gio Rosinho is, is fine, and he should be applauded for sticking around for so long and, and being a, a rock as a backup, uh, and needed one possible last year as a starter. Uh, but as a senior right now, I, I don't think, I, to me, the offense is no different with him at the helm versus Art right now. As you mentioned, which is a very good point, the defense is really the issue. With how bad they are, uh, it doesn't really matter who's quarterback. So with that being the case, to me, it's just an easy answer of continue to play Art if you thought he was the answer heading in right now. I don't see what has really changed uh, four games into a freshman season. I'd, I'd stick with the freshman. I agree. Other question. And, and... Hey, Mo. Hey. I, I was kind of like sleeping through the, uh, through the podcast because I couldn't get on. I didn't know what was going on there. I thought it was something I said last week, and you just cut me off for the first you 10 got, minutes. I wasn't sure. You got banned without knowing it. <laughs> I know. I was on double secret probation. So we got you. You served your time, and you're back in now. I know. I know. I'm on suspension. Um, just a question. Why do we have to do everything, so to speak, inside the box? If we're limited in terms of a lot of positions, why not play to our strengths? Example, it seems like we at least have three good running backs, right? Blackshear has good hands. Good, They like him in space. He can run. He can catch. Pacheco, also being a former quarterback, my guess is he probably has pretty good hands. He seems pretty fast. Is there something stopping us from using maybe an older style um, – whatever his formation, that even though it's outdated or whatever, it might work again for us? I'm just asking. 
I don't I don't know uh, the best answer for that other than to say that I think everybody is searching for answers, which is never good four weeks into the season. Um, I think that, you know, Chris asked, there's no issue in bringing John McNulty back. His history of Rutgers alone kind of speaks for itself, but, you know, back then he had a lot of really good talent to work with. I, I just don't think they have that talent at all. And even though the running backs aren't bad, like you mentioned, I think they've shown some promise at times, the run blocking is still not very good. And at some point, uh, if you do that, teams are going to catch on quickly to, to where your strengths are. And if you can't be decent at multiple facets of the game offensively, I think in a conference like the Big Ten, you're going to be, you know, you know eaten up, spit out, chewed out, whatever you want to say it. Uh, you know, that that's going to be up to John McNulty every week, what he really wants to do with, with the offense. I just don't think that point of the season to me that – that's that's the biggest issue. I, I just think it happens to be just an overall issue with the program right now and kind of every facet you could pick on. And I, I think that it has allowed fans the opportunity to go and question like you just did fairly. Maybe they should try something different. I guess the answer is, sure, why not? If, I guess if it hasn't been working for the first four games, why not try something different? By the way, that, that doesn't exclude I'm, – I'm not just talking about maybe formations, but – whether that's putting in Lewis um, at quarterback, not full-time. I was watching, uh, I guess it was uh, Notre Dame. Brian Kelly was talking about how they, I guess they were starting their new quarterback. I think his name is Brooke or something like that. It begins with a B. And he said he's not opposed to possibly running both of them in there. My, my point would be is, since we haven't been really successful with either quarterback right now, why not go ahead and do a three-quarterback system? I'm just, again, suggesting it. We need wide receivers. We need playmakers. And keeping Lewis on the bench when we know that he can run, we know he's got, he's got size, he may have a little bit of speed, not a lot, but he's got something. Why not go ahead and at least try something different? If it ain't working and it's broken, fix it. Well, I think, you know, you you, you got to be realistic on, on this. I, you know, I'm actually listening to, I think it was the – the NJ.com, uh, you know, podcast. And they, they talked about this quickly and it's, you know, it's like quarterback is the only position that people talk about the third string guy. It's like, you know, you know, a cornerback gets burnt or, or, you know, your, your offensive tackle gets beat. You're not like, Hey, let's get the third guy in there. And, you know, at the end of the day, Jonathan Lewis uh, is third string and he lost the job, you know, in the competition and, and to Adam's point, I think quarterback is probably the least of the issues. So getting the third string quarterback some playing time and, and let's face it, uh, we saw it last year against Ohio state. Like, yeah, he's a, you know, he could run, but the teams that Rutgers are going to be playing at the end of the year, uh, you know, having a running quarterback, it's not something that, you know, it's going to really catch them by surprise or athletically even put them at a disadvantage. Uh, definitely. And, and Adam, I'm going to get a little bit about, you know, obviously we're beating up, you know, Coach Ash, but in terms of, you know, watching some of the plays, uh, some of the touchdowns where you clearly were coverage issues too, uh, I think that's sometimes where it gets a little frustrating. Uh, you know, I think it was that third touchdown where is you know, slot guys wide open down the field. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on, on you know, Neiman and, and – uh, you know, I guess trying to figure out is this all a talent issue or are there some things that they can clean up? I, I'm i confused on the talent side as much as anybody else. I can't believe, you know, the, the drop-off from last year to this year to me is surprising. Uh, I think that, you know, they got to be a little bit careful what happened over the offseason and the depth that you lost due to, you know, the credit card stuff that was going on. They kind of downplayed, and, they, you know, Coach asked, you know, Chris asked did not think that that was going to be an issue defensively still, even though they lost some guys with some experience. Um, so I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's a coverage thing. I, to me, it just looks like, a, it looks like a big talent issue. They look slow. Uh, they don't look size-wise, like a typical Big Ten team uh, compared to even the last couple of years and, and going towards the end of even the Kyle Flood era. Um, again, schematically, I don't want to you know, comment too much about it. That's not our strength, and that's why on, on the podcast we try and find unique areas where we can find our own little spin on that. I'll leave that up to 
the coaches each week to figure out what's best for the team and the results should speak for themselves. So going four weeks into it, the results are horrendous. It, 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 there's no getting around that. So if that means that Chris Asses, he noted in his press conference this week, is considering looking at potentially taking over play calling on the defensive side, well, I, I think anybody that can read into that and say that's not a good sign uh, for Jay Newman. So I guess at some point he's going to have to answer to that. You know, I was talking with a buddy at the at the tailgate, and uh, you know, he brought up that point. Well, actually, he brought up a similar point, but in the TCU Ohio State game, where uh, you know, this is of course in reference to Shiano. You know, as that game went on, you know, Shiano started to just bring it. And the to your point is the we had Brian Dunn on earlier and, and he was talking about how, you know, as a head coach, you, you sometimes you're not really involved in the play calling anymore. You know, yes, Ash is a, is a, is a defensive guy, but, but that's what us fans were wondering. It's like, if this is a defensive coach uh, and, and a guy, you know, that that's his thing, like, you know, yeah, maybe that's actually something that he has to do to get more involved in uh, on the play coin and try to, you, you come up with, with schemes. And, and like you said, we're, we're not, you know, defensive coordinators here, so we can't actually say what's going to work. But, uh, you know, even the talk of the idea of doing that is, is at least showing that he's trying to get something done. Yeah, I, I think it's showing that, that they're a little bit in, in say, the season mode. Uh, I don't think anybody expected them going into, you know, the majority of Big Ten play. Uh, to be one and three, uh, they've got to find answers and they've got to find a way to start being competitive in football games. Uh, you know, at this point, Rutgers fans every week are expecting them to be blown out. That's, that's not a good spot to be in. Um, it also means that again, the ball is so low where they can find a way to be competitive and show some progress. At least there's a marker there. Unfortunately, the last two weeks, there's been no progress. They've been blown out by two teams that, as you mentioned, people thought that they should at least with one of those two games and be competitive in both, they should not have been blown out uh, to Kansas and Buffalo at, at this point of uh, of what I know is a longer rebuild than people think, but uh, there's obviously reason to be frustrated. So, you know, we talk about how your 2007 time period, 2011, now, you know, I'm curious, right? Because uh, obviously, like you said, you, you're 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 a grad. Everybody graduates from school. They go out and start working. Um, you typically don't have a whole lot of money to go purchase a bunch of tickets and start donating at that time. That's kind of like a little later on, and and that builds up. Uh, but within like you know your group or people you know um, that are football fans, um, were they? did they do a good job of roping guys in and bringing them back, you know, to the games and then, you know, kind of start with, you know, getting you or, you know, used to the, the culture of, of donating or, or no matter what it is, uh, you know, how, how is the outreach um, to young alumni? Well, I mean, my personal belief has always been that when you're a student in college, you need a few signature moments that hook you and make you a fan for life. Um, just because you went to a school that happens to have a major basketball or a football program does not automatically mean you are then obligated to be a fan once you're gone from school, as well as donate in some capacity moving on forward. So the school has to give you reason to donate once you're gone. For my class, uh, we really had one major, major moment, and that was the 2007 USF game that you mentioned. Students got to rush the field. It was kind of the signature moment. Um, unfortunately, even though the talent was over the next couple of years, you know, it would have been nice for the program. It would have been very interesting to me if they would have won uh, an outright Big East title at some point um, and kind of hooked, uh, you know, possibly three classes of Rutgers alumni at some point what happens after that? How many more young alumni season tickets do you sell immediately? And do you see that sense of giving um, a little bit sooner? That didn't happen. Um, so it's up to people like my family, for example, who's been going to Rutgers games for 30 years. Um, you know, we have a very large tailgate. It's grown uh, mainly because I continue to invite uh, some friends 
friends from my fraternity and, and other friends that I met throughout the university, um, and I get them to come to games. The biggest difference over the last couple of years has simply been that they were buying young alumni season tickets as recently as a couple of years ago. But when you do not win and you do not put a product out there that is going to keep people interested, especially as they get older and have more discretionary income to spend, that is the university's problem. At some point, the university has to look at itself and go, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to do to remedy the situation? And, yes, a lot of it has to do with wins and losses on the field. But, you know, this administration right now, yes, they are doing a good job trying to reach out and trying to get people involved. Unfortunately, though, they kind of neglected in the beginning how bad certain things were in regards to making sure that the coaching staff was up to par that I think we're now seeing a really, really big issue. Um, the apathy is set back in, and I don't know how you get uh, people reinvigorated and, and energized again in this football program currently. Again, look at basketball as the example of the complete opposite. They really haven't been good the last couple of years, yet people are excited for the basketball season this year. Happens to have a coach that's very excitable, very energetic, who looks like he's getting the program in the right direction. That I'm shocked, but basketball may be the program that's going to maybe hook that next generation of students. And we saw, uh, you know, last year's class had the Seton Hall moment. Students that were there that game will remember that. You need to have those big moments to draw students in, and then you can build upon that. I just don't think it's natural where just because you went to Rutgers, you're obligated to be a Rutgers fan. I don't think it works that way. It's still an entertainment product at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a great point. I, 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 you quite, I guess bring I, up I, basketball. I guess sorry, sorry, Mo. Go ahead, Mo. Well, I was just going to mention, actually, my first year at Rutgers, I had gone to Rutgers-Newark for two years, transferred down to the big school in 66. 66 and 67, we had a dynamite basketball program. We were 9-0 and before we lost to Georgetown. My roommate, who's an attorney and still plays basketball, um, we, went to, we went to the games. I think you're right that we do need a product that is viable, that makes you feel good, that gives you that buzz when you win. But I would sort of disagree with you. For example, from my perspective, I couldn't possibly root for anybody else except Rutgers. It's probably because of my affiliation with the school. If I had gone somewhere else, I would have rooted for them, and I would have gone through whatever ups and downs they went through. Uh, Rutgers also has a tradition, if you will. Um, when I was there, was Mason Gross, and we had Blaustein, and Blaustein wanted us to go big time. I'm not looking to point fingers to create controversy, but I think we could both, we could all, the three of us, discuss for a moment the potential for our administration to be supportive and even uh, progressive relative to athletics. I don't see it. I really don't see it. So um, I, when you ask the question, how do we hook in the next generation, I think part of it is you've already given the answer. We need to win. It's chicken and egg again. We need to win, right? And we need to have some excitement on the field to get people in the stands so we can get more people on the field to create more excitement. It's kind of a, uh, an ongoing perpetual machine. When you don't have it, it works in reverse, right? It's, it's yeah, the, it's I, classic I, I don't think case. they're wrong. I, I, the, one, the one thing I would say that's different from the, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and even the early 2000s with Greg is the school has more resources than ever when it comes to athletics. I, I, I think there's a little bit of a misnomer. I know that, that President Barchi uh, has his staunch beliefs in terms of athletics and where they fit into the university. That is what it is, and people could have that debate whether they think – uh, he has the wrong view on that. Um, I think Pat Hobbs clearly understands and has a vision for a big-time athletic program. I, I still think the question is, or at least in my view of it, again, the resources have been there. Chris Ash has more resources than any Rutgers football coach in the history of the program. The guy makes on okay money compared to most of the Big Ten schools, uh, his salary is not a huge issue. He got a good salary pool for his assistant coaches. He's got good facilities. He's got a new practice facility. He's going to get a new locker room facility. They're going to get a new academic building. The health center is going to be all for, uh, for football soon. We know what's being built next to the rack. Again, 
resources are there. At some point, doesn't Rutgers have to wisely spend their money and prove to the fan base that they could do that first before we start having the debate every single time why Rutgers can get certain money from its donors? Like at some point, don't they need to have on-field results, as you just mentioned, before we really go and buy into everything? You can't just keep asking for money uh, you know, because and keep going with these cues. Well, that's what everybody else says. That we need to we need to build it. Well, sometimes you just need to at least show progress in certain areas to trust. And that's where I think the disconnect is right now. There, there's not a trust between the current administration and the small fan base that has been left and dragged and beaten over the last 40 years, despite a five to seven year period of, of relevance. So to me, it's always going to come back to as of right now. They have resources. In a couple of years, they're going to have a lot more resources with a full Big Ten share. I would like to see them be start to be smart with their money and start putting it to good use. However, people determine that to be that could be subjective in itself. But clearly, I mean, we all agree and we all know Buffalo does not spend the same amount of money on their athletic programs that Rutgers does. They just came in here last week and stomped all over Rutgers. Had better athletes had better coaches, all that above. So now are we going to say that the problem is Rutgers doesn't have enough money as, as Buffalo or Kansas, for example? Again, if, you, if Rutgers wants to get to the Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State level, I totally understand the whole, we need money, we need more support. That is a different argument. All we're asking for right now is respectability, and they have enough resources to be respectable. So at some point, it needs to point in one direction in order for that to be fixed. It's a great point. And, you know, when people talk about the programs like Auburn who are able to, you know, in a two-year period, fire a coach, pay a whole new staff, bring another guy out, you know, you're, you're talking about one, two, three, four, five programs in the whole country that can do that. And and uh, I think what, what you're laying here is uh, Hobbs, Ash, and these guys need to figure this out. And, you know, to your point, we can't just expect, uh, you, you know, magic donors to come in and, and say, let's wipe this out and start over again uh, when you just brought on a new coach uh, just two and a half years ago. So uh, it's, it, it's really a good, a good point. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't, I don't know where the answer lies. I don't, I'm not one of those guys right now that is just saying, get rid of him. I completely understand the nuance of, uh, of the contract issue and the money issue um, that is what it is. I, I just think that, again, uh, you know, Rutgers fans kind of, we talk ourselves in circles at times trying to figure out where the issue is when sometimes it's kind of right in front of us, and it's okay to admit that. It's also, while it's okay to admit the problem, it's also okay to continue to support the program and hope it gets better. I don't think it's one or the other. So I think it's quite obvious that right now coaching is a big issue. I think Chris Ash. Uh, has not proved himself very well so far in the first couple of years here going into year three. Uh, I'm still going to support him. I'm still a Rutgers fan. I hope it gets better. I do not root for Rutgers to be bad and to be an embarrassment. Uh, I just don't think it's it's deserved to kind of point fingers yet right now at the fan base. If, if this program can – if football can get respectable and go five, six, seven wins consistently and be kind of the Indiana, uh, Purdue – uh, Michigan State class, Iowa class, then we could start asking why fans aren't giving and, and making it get to that next tier. But it doesn't take that much to get to that next tier. I think that happens to be more on the coaching side of things, which is just, again, it's going to take a, you know, a, we're going to need till the end of the season and, and we'll have to sit back and judge, all right, how good or how bad did it get? That's a great point. So, Adam, I appreciate you um, coming on. Thanks for, you know, chatting uh it's 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 funny because at this point what's going on the last couple of weeks it's like you, you can just talk about this for hours and hours and hours it's it's, it's so many fans it's it, 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 it's yeah it's just on the forefront but um why don't you um let everybody know you know how they can find the your 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 podcast and you know any other way that you guys are out there uh, promoting yourself on twitter uh in you know social media world yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's the RU Screw Pod. Uh, we're available on iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, our Twitter handle is, is RU Screw Pod. Again, it's myself, uh, Max, and Mike are uh, the other two co-hosts. Uh, you know, I think we actually just put out 
uh, episode five a few hours ago uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so check it out before Indiana. Uh, it, again, it's kind of a fun, more lighthearted podcast. We try not to be too serious, uh, but we appreciate everybody that goes and listens. Uh, you certainly guys have got a new listener uh, in myself. I, I hope we can join you on, on some better times moving forward. And, and then we can maybe have a discussion one day of what's next on the money side of things for Rutgers. Hopefully they get to a point right now, though, where uh, respectability comes into play soon and, and some wins follow. Well, great. Well, thank you uh, for having you on. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Well, well, uh, time for us uh, now to kind of shift over uh, and talk about the weekly opponent. And, uh, we didn't do that last week because, you know, quite frankly, uh, I think everyone was still in shock over Kansas. And, and you know, the last thing we needed to do is to talk about first round potential quarterbacks and, and looking at Buffalo. And uh, it was just, you know, move on to the next thing, but uh want to welcome on next uh, from Uja Huddle. He's been on the show quite a few times. I'm Sam Jacobs, uh, who uh, covers our Indiana football. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've done this a couple years and like I said, uh, Throughout last year's forty-one nothing game, the first three versions of this series were were pretty exciting ones. Yeah, you know, Rutgers took the first two, uh, one in two thousand fourteen, which uh, you know it kind of ended up being a, a, a wide margin of victory. But you saw Kevin Coleman run for three hundred and seven yards. Uh, the, the next year, twenty fifteen, it wants to be a race from the IU fans' memory, but you know Rutgers had a great comeback from twenty-seven points down. In the last two years, uh, Indiana has evened the series up at two to two, and it's become uh, a rivalry game, but it's become a, a pretty contested uh, battle back and forth. I tell you, I still have Kevin Coleman on my dynasty team after watching that. I, I was so biased of watching. It was that game, and then I think they played Ohio State, where he had 250 plus yards, and and it was crazy because you knew he was going to get the ball. It was like at the end of the quarter half, they were trying to run it out and the guy still runs 70 yards, uh, for, you know, for a touchdown. He, he, he was pretty amazing. Yeah. And they didn't have a quarterback at the time. They were playing with the two freshmen who, uh, couldn't do much through, through the air. So it was, knew it was going to have a Coleman and, uh, and teams couldn't stop him. So he, he was a pretty special player and he's having a pretty nice career in Atlanta right now. So, you know, um, now remind, because, you know, we obviously get you on here every year. Now, you uh, have some ties to the area and, you know, are familiar, you know, with the, the Rutgers program. Yeah, I was, you know, born and raised in New York, uh, went to high school in Brooklyn, um, watched the, you know, watched Rutgers football uh, for a while now. Never really was a Rutgers fan uh, growing up. Um but, you know, when you guys had that magical season of of 2006, you know, I kind of bought in watching from afar at college at IU. Uh, and, and it's been fun to watch, you know, Rutgers football kind of evolve. And, and we'll see where it goes from here. I caught the tail end of your guys' conversation on uh, building a fan base. And, and a lot of your points are, are excellent and, and very, very interesting. Uh, so that's my tie to the to the New York New Jersey area. Well, you know, I, I and I think it's an interesting way also having you on, you know, timely too because, um, you know, I, two weeks ago, what, what's great about you know pod, doing the podcast and you talk to people, uh, you know, you obviously you know I hate to bring it up, but you know you you think of Indiana, you think of Kansas, you're thinking basketball, right? Um, but, you know, you come across and you see this and you're like, you know, there's there's hardcore Kansas fans, football fans, hardcore Indiana football fans. And, um, you know, so while you have success in one side, you're also struggling to build a consistent fan base and following on the football side of things. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to to winning games and you know it's kind of where Rutgers and Indiana both are you know Rutgers had a nice run for about a decade there where they went to to nine bowls and uh, were nationally relevant there for a couple years and Indiana had two bowls with Kevin Wilson really haven't been 
uh, much of a factor in the national scene really since the 80s. Uh, but, you know, there, there were those hardcore fans where, you know, you guys mentioned winning games in your students. You know, there there are fans who are getting up there in age, who were around for the Rose Bowl uh, run, and you know, fans who've been there when they beat Ohio State and beat Michigan, and those fans are locked in. And it's time for you know to get these younger fans locked in. They need that signature win uh, to say, hey, I I was there when Indiana Rutgers did this, this, and that. So I just did a quick Google search, and the Rose Bowl, this was 1968, right? Uh, Indiana, Indiana-USC Rose Bowl. Yeah, it was the 1967 season, so the 68 Rose Bowl. Uh, Indiana lost, I believe it was 14-3. Uh, it was O.J. Simpson's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, Mo, are we, we're going down your road here. Uh, let's see the Hoosiers uh, one. <laughs> yeah, OJ would have been uh, the Heisman Trophy winner either '67 or '68, and Beban, uh, who was the quarterback at UCLA, was the uh, Heisman Trophy winner one of the other years, the, the off year. So uh, the fact that you guys played him, uh, good luck. I mean, uh, OJ <clears throat> certainly on the field was a special player. Um, shifting shifting gears for a moment, and I'm just kind of wondering because you mentioned Coleman, and then uh, we're bringing up OJ. You have a uh, running back, Scott, who is committed to Rutgers. What's the uh, what's the backstory to that? How did he flip from Rutgers to Indiana? Could you could you fill us in? Well, I think a lot of it had to do with Indiana's running back coach Mike Hart. He went up to to Syracuse. He's from around that area. And, you know, IU is, I don't know how they pride, they pride him away from Rutgers, but, um, you know, Indiana's really selling their family first atmosphere. They've, uh, you know, been a little bit more successful on the field in the last couple of years. And I think the bond that they had with, uh, with the coaching staff, it kind of turned the tide a little bit. So tell me in terms of the where where the players come from, um, uh, you, you know, are, are these in-state players? Because there has to be a pitch, right? I mean, um, you know, you, Indiana, just like Rutgers, are in this pretty brutal division, right? Where, um, you know, if you're looking to make a bowl game like IU did in 15 and 16, you know, there's a certain formula, right? You got to win your non-conference games and then you have to win the games against, uh, you know, in your case, you're going to have to win Maryland and Rutgers and, and, you know, make sure you upset one of the four teams and, and win on the other side, you know? So, you know, you, your pitch to players, is going to be like, you're playing in the big 10, you're playing in one of the toughest divisions. Um, I'm just curious where the geographic makeup of of the uh, team is? A lot of the team is, and I, I believe it's close to 50%, maybe over 50%, is from the Florida and Georgia area. Uh, when Tom Tom Allen came in, they started recruiting the Tampa area very, very, very well. Uh, they got the Tampa area offense and defensive player of the year last year committed uh, and signed. They have uh, a lot of guys from that that Tampa area and in Florida uh, and Georgia. And then you, you know, you go get your in-state state guys uh, that you want. And the trouble with the in-state guys is that you have that perception that it is Indiana football, just like maybe there's a perception of for New Jersey guys that, well, it's Rutgers football. We could go, you know, to Penn state or, or somewhere else. Uh, but, it's a little harder of a sell for in-state guys to go to Indiana just because, well, it's Indiana football. And that's a perception that they have to change. And it's right now an easier sell to go down to Florida, find some of these mid-level three-star guys, develop them, and they've become very, very good players uh, over the last couple of years. So some similarities, uh, it's pretty great. You know, it's a good point, right? Uh, and that's a lot of where you get with Rutgers and the Jersey players, you know, not to speak for them, but, but that's, you know, it is tough 
when to make that move uh, when the other bigger schools start coming. So uh, that's a good topic, though, because I, I know a lot of discussion, you know, for instance, Mo, you probably know about this, about how Rutgers kind of moved away from, from recruiting Florida as they did in the past because uh, they had success early on in Seattle. Now, Seattle, of course, was the defensive coordinator in Miami, so he had relationships, but um, but that is another thing that, that has gone away with, um, you know, this this regime. No comment. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Sam, we were, you, you, as mentioned, you know, you had the two bowl games uh, in 15 and 16. You missed out last year. Uh, you know, kind of an interesting start to the season, three and one. Uh, you know, last week I think was a tough game. You it, you get Michigan State off of a bye, just, you know, kind of not the best scenario. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on this team? Uh, you know, what are, what are the expectations of this team? Is this a bowl team, or are you still not sure? Uh, I've stayed away from giving expectations uh, this whole season. What I've said going forward is this team could win from anywhere from three games up to up to eight games. You know, playing in the Big Ten East, you could probably write those four teams off as losses. And then the rest of them are really toss-up games. We're talking about you know, Rutgers, Maryland, Minnesota, uh, Purdue, and Iowa at home. And, you know, those, those games, you know, are between, you know, a 40% chance and maybe 60% chance. Uh, you know, IU has a shot there. So I think concentrating on those eight, uh, they went 3-0 in the non-conference, beat Virginia, who looks like they could be the real deal this year uh, in terms of getting to six, seven wins uh, in a in a monsoon. Uh, they beat a Ball State team that went up to Notre Dame and gave them fifth um, by 28 points. And then Michigan State last week. Yeah, Michigan State's a good team, but you can't give good teams a, a, a pick six, a touchdown on a fake field goal. Uh, things like that, that, you know, Indiana didn't play that badly. Uh, but those are the little things that, you know, you gave them 14 points. There was a missed call on the offense. You put another seven points on the board for Michigan State. Uh, but Indiana's defense played well. They had nine tackles for loss, four sacks. They forced four takeaways. Uh, the offense, you know, they couldn't get anything done on the ground. Uh, but that Michigan State front is is very very good. But they put up 272 yards through the air, threw a couple touchdowns, and you know really down 28-7, you could have just packed your bags in and, and called it a night. Uh, but to, to score 14 points there in the fourth quarter kind of leaves you feeling a better place uh, than, than to have 28-7. So, uh, you, know, you know, one of the things that we're talking about with Rutgers where, um, you know, there, there's no playmaker that, that just is a lights-out playmaker that sometimes teams have that they just lean on. You know, like we were talking about Coleman from a couple of years ago. Um, you know, when Rutgers had Mohamed Sanu or, or Leontay Carew, certain guys that you can just put the ball out in their hands and, and just make, something happen. Uh, who who are the guys for, for Indiana that, that we have to be out there, you know, the playmakers that, that you know, Rutgers fans have to uh, be aware of uh, this weekend? Well, I think Stevie Scott is, is number one guy. You know, he's got over 400 yards rushing over the first four games, uh, coming off a tough game against Michigan State, uh, but had a big game against Virginia, big games against Ball State. Uh, Wap Fillinger, uh, who's coming off of a 13-catch, 148-yard performance. He's a guy who uh, could score from anywhere on the field. Uh, Reese Taylor, who's a guy who hasn't put all the all of it together yet, true freshman. He was Mr. Indiana football uh, coming out of high school. He's a dynamic guy who could play all over the field, returns kicks, has played defense this year, has played offense. Uh, and then, you know, the receivers, Donovan Hale is very good. Uh, Nick Westbrook is back and healthy. They just have to get the ball uh, to these receivers and, and, and get them to, you know, throw deep. That's been the problem with Indiana's offense is explosion plays, and a lot of that is due to the nature of their passing attack, uh, which is uh, slants and short crossing routes and everything uh, in between the numbers. They're, they're hesitant to go deep, and I think that's because 
Pitt Ramsey's not really confident in his arm strength, uh, but he is completing around 72% of his passes for the season. He's a very accurate passer, but he's not going to light up the scoreboard in terms of you know yards per completion uh, and hope then to dunk you to death if you, if you let him. And then you know, if there's a running game, that, that'll open it up a little bit. Um, but they do have some playmakers on offense. Uh, it's just that they what haven't makes, been uh, utilized really here in the first four games. What makes Scott a good runner? Is he fast? Does he have good cuts? Is he strong? All of the above? What do we got? He's all of the above. He is a true freshman. He kind of reminds me of Jordan Howard, uh, who's now with the Bears. Uh, he can run through you. He can run by you. Um, there's still some pressure in the stakes. He's got to get his you know, feet up off the ground. He gets tangled up at the line a little bit. Uh, and, and after that first game, he's been running with a, a head of steam and, and a little bit more confidence. Um, but he, he's, he's a real good back. Um, he, he's not a guy who runs like a 4340 or 4440, but he's a solid, you know, 4540 guy and he's 200. I think they're around 225 pounds. So he, he's a load to bring down, and, and he'll run you over if he has to. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the Hoosiers have always seemed to have good running backs, you know, from going back to, you know, Thompson and, like we say, Coleman or, you know, years back. Uh, you know, it's it kind of their, their thing, right? Well, it, there, there was a time when under Mallory where – the running back was strong. And then once you got to Cam Cameron a little bit and Bernardo and, and Hepner in those years, it kind of took a, a way back. But, yeah, you had Anthony Thompson, uh, Von Dunbar, and Antoine Randall and uh, Leveron Williams. When Leveron Williams and Antoine Randall were running the option, it was, it was almost like a video game. Uh, if Rutgers fans want to YouTube that, it, it's a fun watch. And you had uh, Tevin Coleman and, and Jordan Howard and Divine Redding. Last year, they, you know, they had Morgan Ellison come in as a true freshman. He's been suspended indefinitely, uh, but the running game was definitely something that, you know, you were worried about going into the year because it struggled and finished, I think, 13th or 14th in the Big Ten last year. Uh, and now that they, prior to Michigan State, they're averaging uh, right around 200 yards per game, which is which is a solid average in the Big Ten. Well, Sam, I, uh, you know, heading up on the hour point here. So, uh, appreciate you coming on and, um, <laughs> I, you know what, I, I, I don't, I don't, I actually don't want to put you uh, on, on the spot cause I don't want to actually hear it. I don't want to hear what the prediction would be for this one, but, um, is there any, uh, any, any chance that your guys might be too overconfident, uh, and, and overlooking Rutgers uh, for this one? I don't think they'll be too overconfident or over overlooking them. You, you just can't, and it goes both ways, you know. Because Indiana used to be that team that ah oh, people could go into Bloomington and kick, kick their butts and all that stuff. And you know, uh, Rutgers gave them a game in, in 2000, 2016 out there, and, and when you guys were struggling, and I think that has put the fear of God into them. And IU should be ready to play. You, know, you guys do have some talent on there with, uh, you know, Jerome Washington and, and Raheem Blackshear and uh, some defensive backs and the linebacking course pretty well. With, you know, they're, they're not taking this game as a guaranteed uh, guaranteed win and get back on the bus and the plane and go back to Bloomington. If you guys actually nope. show up at Bloomington on Saturday, don't you forfeit the game? Um. Probably. I, I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. the rules on that. That, 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 may, just that may be the only chance. That may be the only chance. <laughs> well, well, Sam, thanks we should... again uh, for coming on. And um, we're heading right into the one-hour uh, point. So uh, why don't you, before you go, just let us know uh, how to follow you and how to find you on um, Who's Your Huddle. Yeah, you can go to whosyourhuddle.com. That's our website. We break down all the games, uh, post-game, pre-game. All that stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore Huddle, and uh, follow us on Instagram at Hoosier underscore Huddle as well. All right. Well, thanks, and we'll do this again on uh, next year. All right. Always enjoy my uh, trips to Rutgers. All right, bud. Well, thanks right. again, um, 
So, you know, I, I started on, um, I, I tell you, I'm not kidding. I had a great beginning and I, I lost it all. I didn't realize that the mic was not on. So, um, you know, so we kind of touched through. So <laughs> <laughs> so we, we pretty much touched it all. Um, you know, I think, you know, it was good having Adam on. He, he really had good points and it, it's, there's so much to talk about. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, I don't want to say depressing when you kind of realize that it's, it's not going to get better and uh, we could hope, but uh, this, this could be, this could be a tough year, but uh, you know, the one thing I do want to say, and you know, there's so much of the, you know, blame that goes around and this and, and, and no doubt it will, it's warranted. Uh, uh, but, you know, you know, one thing, you know, I, you know, hopefully the players to kind of step up and, and, take some um, um, ownership too. And, and we hopefully start to see, you know, you hate to, hate to, you hate to say the word emotion, but um, you know, accountability, uh, uh, you know, and you know, everyone just does a, a better job to get better. You know, that, that, that's, that's all you can ask for. And uh, you know, everyone's got to get better. That's it. I understand your point. I just wanted you to know that using your reference here, going back 50-something years, you know, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis were a team at one time, and then they broke up. I wonder if it had anything to do with microphone time or having it cut off. In either case, I hope you get my drift. Now, yeah, Rutgers obviously has to step up. We're in for a long year. We don't know what it could be. It could be, worst case, 1-11. But let's just take them one at a time. So what do you think is going to happen with the Indiana game? What's your prediction? I'll put you on the spot. Uh, Rutgers is not winning this game. Uh, if they do it, that'd be fantastic. But this is this is not the game that they're winning. Uh, if you're if you're Fourth Indiana, you're, you, you know, uh, I mean, look, I, I honestly, you know, if it's another forty-two to fourteen, well, I, fourteen sounds like a lot at this point. But if it's another forty-two to thirteen game, you know, that that's kind of what you're expecting at this point. But. Um, there's nothing to tell me anything else different. You, you know, we saw what we saw. Uh, Indiana's always has a good offense. Um, they could put up points. You, you know, you know, we, you, you used to say uh, the heart and the mind. So my heart says, you know, hopefully it's, uh, you know, 34 to, you know, 17. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that out. I'm figuring that Rutgers is going to study the film and to the best of their ability, whoever it is, and I'm hoping Ash gets involved if he isn't already, that they basically force the quarterback to beat them along with their wide receivers. They've got to take Scott out of the game. Otherwise, it's going to be brutal. So my heart is going for a an upset. Rutgers 31, Indiana 24. My head says it'll be probably more like 49 to 10, Indiana. But I don't like betting against Rutgers, so um, I'm going with my heart. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have to tally it up uh, next week, and we'll do this again. Well, thanks um, for those who uh, listen, and apologize again for the beginning of the show. Uh, we'll clean that up for our, for next week. And, You'll hear uh, from my attorney. Talk to me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, everyone, if you haven't done already, make sure to pull down an iTunes. Uh, that way you already will get these automatically as, uh, as they uh, finish on the show the next day. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Okay.